I'd like to introduce you to our next speaker. It's a great privilege and, a, and an honor to introduce to you the Pension Funds Adjudicator, who has kindly offered her time to come and um, uh, present to us today. Um, she has done it once before, and uh, I certainly am very grateful for the time she has put into preparing for an event such as this. Um, she's obviously somebody that is very important to us all uh, as an industry. Uh, just by way of introduction, Muvango Lukaimane commenced the responsibilities as Deputy Pension Funds Adjudicator on the 1st of June 2012 and was appointed Pension Funds Adjudicator on the 1st of July of 2013. She acquired first-hand experience and expertise in pension fund matters as a research consultant and legal advisor at Sunlam Employee Benefits, as well as at Liberty Personal Benefits. She was also principal officer of the ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund. She gained strategic planning and organizational skills during a stint in various executive management roles within the South African Domestic Intelligence Services. So beware. Ms. <laughs> uh, Lukamani holds the following qualifications. Um, she has a B. Luris from Univen, an LLB from UP, an LLM from UNISA, a postgraduate diploma in management studies from Buckinghamshire Chilterns University College, a postgraduate diploma in financial planning from the University of Free State, as well as an MBA from Witts Business School. She's also admitted as an advocate in the High Court. Ms. Lukaimani will report back on some interesting cases she has been involved with recently that should be of interest to all of us as actuaries. These will cover the use of Section 15C surplus, causal event charges, benefit calculations, as well as a case where the rules of the fund were in conflict with the members' conditions of service. Please join me in welcoming the pension funds adjudicated to the stage. Thank you. Afternoon, everyone. I think I'm being set up. <laughs> if I am being asked to follow a presentation which causes 90% of the actuarial problems in my office, so I think I must get my brain around seeing and accepting why I've got so many complainants. It's exactly because of the prior presentation that does not concentrate on the bulk of the issues that caused complaints in my office, but concentrates on the bottom line for your employers and everyone else. So must get that thought out of my head now. Uh, I think that just by way of introduction, <coughs> as you know, our office is a statutory ombud office, and therefore, when people approach an office like ours, they usually link their um, ability to get redress from the office with a with the ability of government in general to deliver on anything. So if a person approaches us with their plea and we can't, we find in favor of the company or we find against them, they usually think that um, that is the general thing. Government has not delivered what they are supposed to do. And I'm saying this because I would rather not come to a room like this and only recognize two people that are trying to do something good for the little man, but actually say recognize half the room as trying to really make people that take 
their time to invest in your products, walk off with something meaningful in their lives. Because at the end of the day, I part of what I do is to make sure that people have respect for the industry as a whole. Because it doesn't help if I stand at podiums and everywhere else and say, um, the products that you are all um, developing and putting in place are not are not helping people because at the end that takes away from the integrity of the industry. So as I stand here, my plea also goes to give a little. Just help me along. As I help you, help me too. But I'm not getting a lot of help. Um, as Costa has said, I'm going to just touch a little bit on the use of Section 15C surplus and all those other three issues. I think that as far as Section 15C surplus is concerned, the advice that uh, funds are getting from most actuaries is spot on. So I do not find many. I just wanted to give that as feedback to say I do not find many concerns in terms of the use of Section 15C surplus. I think boards of trustees generally understand how it's supposed to be used. The rules have been put in place, so that is not an area that I am even that I am concerned about. And I think maybe Marius, I don't see you from where I'm standing. I think Marius. Um, has done quite a bit of work because in the beginning when I started in the office I would go and refer certain things to his department because they looked a little bit like people didn't actually get the understanding but now even where I find complaints where it's one board member who doesn't generally agree with what has been done I'm able to find that there was some logic in how the board in final go to a decision for how the surplus should be used. <clears throat> Therefore, what remains our very big, big, huge problem is the causal event charges that are being levied against members in retirement annuities. Um, I was actually very disheartened to see that in the last week or so, I saw a notice saying that uh, RDR has been put back for some reasons, but I know that given the space within which I operate in, some of your principals are lobbying very hard for some of the things to be put back a bit. So apart from the fact that there might be administrative reasons why this has been put back a bit, I, I do know that there is general unhappiness in terms of the way that it's going to work and therefore there is a little bit of pushback in terms of requirements for National Treasury to think through some of the things that you think will affect um, the charges that you are currently levying. That is why I was saying that in the previous uh, presentation, my concern was that the issue around costs, you know, I can do everything that I want to do. I can start thinking about my retirement now while I'm still working, but the issue of costs is not something that you are all looking at very closely. It's, it's as if 
members must just live with the fact that costs will be levied that are often not even transparent to the member at any time up until they exit the fund. And if you look at the second bullet there where it talks about upfront commission charges, marketing materials, setting up records, printing costs, medical expenses, I doubt that anyone can show me costs that after 15 years of me running in an RA, I doubt that if I start saying, please show me 150,000 rands worth of these costs that you want to levy against my RA, I doubt that you'll be able to actually justify those costs. But that is a calculation that you in the room make, and therefore, to some extent, it, it, it's not, it's either not fair on the, on the member or it is not aligned with the actual work that you are doing or that anyone actually did in terms of realizing that, that investment up to that stage. You'll see that in that case that I mentioned of SVS money, you can look up the cases after then, after this, but this was where the retirement annuity fund didn't even want to disclose the computation of the charge. And this is where I have great difficulty. I actually really require, and I did see at the registration desk that some of the actuarial firms that um, provide advice to my office um, are here. So one of the things that I often demand of them to ask you when they are doing these investigations is tell them to break down the costs of if they say this person must pay 70,000 rand in causal event charges, ask them to break it down for me. I want to see what actually went into this. And when we demand that, the most disheartening thing is that yes, an explanation will come, but suddenly it will also come with an adjustment of say the person will now suddenly be asked to pay only 70% or 60% of what they were initially asked to pay. Um, members usually will feel a little bit better, but from my side, the concern is why would it take, I know that for every one complainant that comes to my office, maybe 50 that went through exactly the same thing didn't bother to come to come in and and lodge a complaint and if you could reduce that cost be just because the office has asked you to explain how you computed the cost that then for me says that there is a little bit of just um thumb sucking in terms of what what um it actually costs for you to absorb a cancellation of a of a policy. The general concerns there are really that um, the rent amount is calculated on exit. And I think here I should blame maybe partially, I think a combination of something done by actuaries and lawyers is actually meant for no one to understand. Because <laughs> you go and you want to levy certain charges, you get your legal department to draft something that no one can understand. So individually, maybe someone can understand what you're trying to say, but once you combine a legal 
drafting of what a, a, a member is going to be charged. I mean, no one can actually make sense of exactly what, what it is. Um, I'm also concerned about the illustrative values that are provided to members. And in that respect, even you would have noticed that we do not have um, we do not have jurisdiction over living annuities. But usually when people complain, it is also because at the point that they were given, that they initiated their contract, they were given very sterling illustrative values of what is going to happen over time. And that inevitably never happens. And I would rather you all draft you see if i see the presentation that went before me i wish there was another presentation with double the slides showing how you manage to get out of all those promises because just as we see it with something as good as this is what it's all about there is double the amount of work that goes into what you all do that takes away every single promise that you make to a member of one of your policies when they take them at the beginning. I, you will note that even from my annual report from last year, I do say this, that every time a company says, in, in relation to a situation like causal event charges, every time a company quotes um, treating customers fairly, I feel the need and the urge to respond and not just leave it there, to respond and say, nothing in what you have done shows an understanding and appreciation of what treating customers fairly is about because nothing in this response or in how the customer was treated actually says you understand and appreciate what that those principles seek to achieve. <laughs> So I try very hard when people come with their complaints to try and wriggle around the law to try and see how I can actually satisfy. Because for me, even though I don't have equity jurisdictions, I cannot look at the fairness of things. I have to look at the legality of things. So I still have fairness at the back of my mind, and therefore I try very hard to bend the law as far as possible in favor of the complainant without breaking it to realize what they thought was the promise in the beginning. Especially in matters like this one where you'll see of Mr. Dinner, whom it was a matter of calculating late payment interest. And just generally, I, I won't go through them, the slides will be available for you, but it just shows how Really, what we have started to do, if a, if a benefit is paid late, we are charging interest on that. And if, um, I want to show this one. If a benefit is, cal is, is paid late, we are charging interest on that. And I will come to a case at the end that actually reaffirmed the discretion that the adjudicator has in terms of setting whatever interest rate we wish to, 
to charge on a late payment or any other monetary award that we grant to a person. In this instance of Mr. Harike, I didn't go in detail on the dinner one because it's really just a straight and straight late payment interest. But in this one, the member, it was also a late payment interest case and um, Alexander Forbes had just calculated the, the interest and we couldn't even understand how they had calculated it. However, my very other clever actuaries that I keep on a panel could go through and use a methodology that actually says, let's look at the actual com portfolio composition and say what the member would have received had the had the transfer that the member wanted to do been effected timelessly. I think that there is also a general misunderstanding in terms of what documents are required when members transfer individually. I think people uh, don't understand when is it that you use a section 14 and when is it that you use an ROT and this was the cause of the, of the delay. What we have also dredged up from the constitutional um, court archives, which we have started levying about three, four months back, is that we are levying punitive interest. If we see that a member has been coming, um, if we see that a member has been coming to try to correct issues exactly like these ones that happened in the Herike matter, and they have been getting a pushback or there has been a lack of understanding from the company as to what is the cause of concern for the member, what we do is we are leaving a rent amount against the peers. For example, we would look if it was in this instance of Herike, we would say something like, we don't levy anything less than 15% of what the actual amount was. So we would award the member punitive interest against the company for delaying whatever needed to be done. And since this determination of the discretion to determine late payment interest rate in the case of Mokadi, um, and the National Tertiary Retirement Fund. I think that we have now been given a little bit of wings to fly now because we used to levy interest linked to the prescribed rate of interest in the Prescribed Rate of Interest Act. So right now you'll notice that in there it has gone down from 15.5% and now it's at 9%. But with the Supreme Court of Appeal, having decided that Section 30N of the Pension Funds Act doesn't really bind us to any amount of interest. Um, it actually means that now where there are all these problems that happen in terms of actuarial calculations and everything, I might actually be motivated to look at the illustrative values that you gave to the member at the beginning of the contract and try and give them punitive damages that might at least let them recoup some of that that they were promised in the beginning. So it's like it's unlimited now. I just have to see how much was in the annual returns of the big companies to see if it is affordable what I'm charging. In terms of defined benefit funds, 
before I get to the issue of inconsistency with conditions of employment, I have a general concern in terms of the backdating of in, in terms of the late completion of actuarial valuations of defined benefit funds. And then when you suddenly discover when this valuation is late and you suddenly discover that there's a hole in the fund, you try to punish all the members from the beginning to try and stem what is the problem in the, in the fund. I mean, if you look at the KZN municipality fund, after, do, after making all sorts of uh, questionable investments, they are now paying out members 50% of what they were entitled to. Whether you are retiring or you are leaving by resignation, they can only pay you 50% because they are under curatorship and all sorts of things are happening. But there was an actuary there who just sort of fell asleep at the wheel for some time. Same thing in general with the Municipal Employees Pension Fund. Um, again, they are also they also lessened, halved the 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 benefit that is paid out to members that exit prior to retirement because they suddenly also discovered that they have a hole in the fund that has been coming for a while, but they the the previous actuary never really said this is how we say you should correct this the situation and by the time the board wanted to take action the the hole was so big that um, the members that are living prior to retirement to retirement now must live with just half the benefit that they would have had they left prior to april to uh, to pr prior to April 2013. Also, the issue of transparency. I'm now dealing with a matter, although it's still at investigation stage, I'm dealing with a matter that involves the ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund, where we are dealing with an issue where they are running part of these things that you like to call hybrid funds. They have a deferred scheme that runs on a on a defined contribution basis. But a member who is living is querying where their share of the investment reserve is at. And what we are haggling about is the fact that they say to me, it is in that benefit that we are paying. And I'm saying to them, since you are running this on a DC basis, I actually want to see you compute year on year what this members share on the, of the investment reserve account is. So to the extent that you are able to force people to, or funds that you are advising to be more transparent about that which they are doing in terms of defined benefit funds that are running all sorts of other accounts within, you should, in a DC fund, I am entitled to know what happened from the start to the beginning. Therefore, even if you house a DC arrangement within a DB fund, you should operate it on the correct principles. In terms of the, the, the issue I wanted to discuss on defined benefit funds was that you constantly really have to advise your 
principals or the employers on the inconsistency with conditions of employment. In the three instances that I mentioned there, these people were actually employed at very senior uh, positions within the municipalities. You know that at senior level in a municipality, you are out and out on a fixed-term contract, and therefore it's never suitable for you to join a DB fund on any day. In all these judgments, because we could go back to the employment conditions of these um, employees, we could then say that they were never supposed to be members of those funds, and therefore all their contributions, both employer and employee contributions, should be refunded to them along with um, a reasonable amount of interest. I'm sure my time is up. Right? Oh. I feel like I'm talking so slowly. <laughs> yeah. So please, wherever you are, you find that in a fund, you cannot explain where how other members have been appointed you must always flag that because for example in the MEPF fund when i looked at the at the actuarial valuation to to see whether the actuaries take into account the different categories of members. I found that the actuaries had only just assumed that all the members that are in the fund are actually supposed to be there. It is a reasonable assumption to make, but you know how administration sometimes runs. It's, not, it's a question that you should ask, because now at the end, in terms of this, these members you are forced to now administer them as if they are DC members. I think having looked at the, having looked at the, having listened to the prior presentation, Costa, I don't want to ask my sentiment questions because I think I know the answers. <laughs> ask, ask, ask your sentiment questions. I don't, I don't think I want to because they, they might just be, I, I don't want to be shocked any more than I am. <laughs> um, but it helps me to go away knowing where your mindset is, really, in terms of having listened to me, almost begging you to change the way that you do business and telling you all my problems and how you really, really affect the general perceptions of, remember that people that buy RAs are not people that um, are at the low end of the market. They are people that have a little bit of additional money to save, and therefore, the more it takes away from the integrity of the industry as a whole, the more you are going to find it difficult to attract other people to come and buy and service your products and everything else. So here goes my sentiment question one. Oh, that is a surprise. After all this talk, <laughs> I, I'm not sure we are understanding the question the same way, but hey. <laughs> um, the products that I design for the retail market are designed to meet the needs of members. <laughs> I think you are just playing around with me. <laughs> um, 
but it helps because it also tells me where your mindset is. So say it means I'm on the left and you're on the right and maybe we just need to come together some more. Let's see. Products I design for the retail market perform as I have promised the members they would. Oh, well. I am very surprised. Because I shouldn't be having the complaints if the <laughs> issues are like this. Products I design for the retail market are portable from one, one provider to another with little or no cost. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there we agree on something. I think we might agree because some of you might have found yourself in the same problem and you're like, I can't believe we're doing this to each other. Um, but I think um, for me, as a, as a profession, in closing, I would just like to say that um, when, when, when Costa asked me to come and speak here, I said to, to him, but how come um, across all the firms, as I get the complaints and everything, how come everyone thinks the same? For people that are as intelligent and creative and as you all are in the room cumulatively i would i i really would not expect national treasury to be driving things like rdr i would expect of you to come up with things that actually shake up your your industry. But I think to the extent, just as happened with the surplus legislation, you had one or two, three actuaries shouting and the rest of the people were look at, looking at them like those people are crazy. And at the end, everyone got to a settlement that is more or less um, acceptable and helps with the integrity of the industry. Same here with the issue of costs. I really would rather have a situation where, say 20% of you just break off from the mold of everybody else and say, we are going to, I am the first one to accept that you must all make a profit, but there are ways of making a profit without actually leaving your customers feeling that they are being ripped off. And that, is there a, an ethic, ethics cost that they is? <laughs> is of course, there? of course. <laughs> is there? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you learn something new every day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> It's always great to listen to the pension funds adjudicate and be on the receiving end of the sort of criticism that, <laughs> that she, she levels at us. I think um, it's also true to say that as actuaries, I'm sure I speak on behalf of everybody in the audience, uh, we certainly do have a, a, a sort of a, a duty to the public interest and to the good of society. And I think it would be wrong um, for us to stand back and not listen to the words that you say without doing something about it. I think in all of our roles, certainly I speak as, as a professional myself, um, member interests and what's right for members always is true to heart. And I think, I think whilst you may, you may get all these complaints of people that you know, are unhappy about fees and costs and things like that, I imagine that there are thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that you don't get complaints from for whom 
you know, the, the industry is doing something right. Um, it's not perfect. Um, and I think these sort of discussions and these sort of debates where we have you come and, and talk to us and give us your sense of the reality of what's out there, because sometimes, you know, we are sitting behind computers and not necessarily in the, in the, in the, in the public uh, fighting, fighting that battle. Um, sometimes we do lose sight of that. So it's important that, that these sort of discussions and the opportunity for us to listen to you and for you to give us this honest feedback um, is, 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 is very much appreciated. So on behalf of all of us here, we really appreciate your, your frankness, your openness, and uh, the, the, the manner with which you've uh, presented to us. I do know that there are one or two questions left. Uh, Fakhmida right in front here has, has, has got a question for you. Um, I'll take two, two questions, and then we'll break, we'll break for some tea. Great. Thanks, Costa. So I'm wearing a red jacket. I left my red beret at home. But here's something to challenge all the actuaries on here in the room before I ask you a question, right? When we designed the traditional RA policies, we were designing them for mutual companies. So although we charged members high costs, they still benefited from the profits that came through on their worth profit participation on the policy. We now offer those policies from a mutual and a Sanlam who are no longer mutual companies and members don't benefit. And that might be part of the reason why they're feeling a bit hard done. I mean, they're also seeing the unit trust linked RA alternatives. And so they're becoming a lot more aware of costs in the traditional RA life policies. And that's another reason why I think you're starting to see sort of even more of an uptake in, in RA complaints. But now my question to you is that the first statement of intent initiative got driven by the pension funds adjudicators office because of the wave of complaints that came through early in the 2000s. Are, are your office and national treasury looking at a, at a second sort of statement of intent or are you still waiting for the, for the industry to respond? And if you are waiting for the industry to respond, do you know of any initiatives to sort of self-correct or, or not? Thank you, Fahmida. Um, I think for, if I can just comment on the statement of intent, I think from Treasury's side, maybe they really did go into this with the utmost good faith, thinking that the companies would, would um, implement this the way that the agreement went and the way that it was intended. And unfortunately, for most of the complaints that I get, it, it seems as if the period that a person has stayed within a fund doesn't matter much in terms of calculating the causal event charge. It seems as if the driver is how much money is sitting in the pot. And therefore, um, Whereas if there is a lot of money, the, the value of the policy is quite high. You will notice that the percentage that is charged is, is low. But if the value of the policy is low in rent terms, without fail, companies charge 29% and 34% for the other ones that go up to 35% and the other ones that your maximum is 30%, they will charge right up almost to 30%. So unfortunately, its implementation is not working the way that it was supposed to. At least I do not think that of all the number of 
issues that I pass on to National Treasury and I say just look at how this is being done and also to Jonathan to say can you go and ask from this company why if I have two of their complaints these don't seem to be related, there, there doesn't seem to be logic in how the implementation is, is going. Um, so from our point of view, we inform National Treasury of the complaints that we receive, the trends that we are seeing, and that is what ultimately goes into their, um, the, when, they revise, when they review policy. And what I keep telling to them is that the saddest thing about the financial services industry in our country is that industry will never come up with something for the benefit of that is always almost the last paragraph that I put in everything that I highlight to them to say this is yet another example where industry fails to innovate and be creative for the benefit of all members. That is why you also saw when we were talking to Treasury about preservation and everything and that, we buy into preservation because we see what it can do for, but also what is it that you are preserving for when at the end your, your benefit promises are not being met and you are given a myriad of reasons why they are not being met. So there is, a, there is a culture of not taking responsibility and accountability with, within financial services. And Treasury also can only do so much but the, the change has to come from within industry because this thing where you wait for legislation, it just it doesn't work. As business people, you should be saying, what is, it that we are, what is it that we are trying to do better for our clients and not for our employers? Ultimately, your employers will benefit if your clients are benefiting. That should be the logic, but it's the other way around. The, the customers are incidental to what you are doing. Thank you. Any more questions? There's a question at the back. Arthur. Uh, Arthur Ellis. Adjudicator, something does concern me. You issue this penalty interest and fines, etc. And the, the, the body that bears these fines and interest is in fact the pension fund itself, which means other members in the fund are penalised. Does that not concern you? Um, sorry, Arthur, can I just repeat the question for the benefit of, of the adjudicator? Um, these fines that are labelled um, uh, on the funds are typically uh, paid for by the funds, which effectively means that the other members within those funds are carrying the costs of, of dealing with these complaints. Is that right, Arthur? Um, no. In actual fact, there will be a, there will be a sentence in the judgment, which says that the cost of paying this penalty must not be defrayed from the fund. I did have a visit from the, uh, from the Mine Workers Provident Fund one of these days, and my answer to them when they said, where must the money come from? I said to them, I'm sure one of you can forfeit your bonuses to this. That's, it's just as simple as that. I, I do put in a line that says, for this that has happened here, this money must not come out of the fund. 
either must come from the administrator or from somebody, but it can come from, from the other members. Thank you. Uh, we've got time for one more question. Is there a question today? Yeah, I'm, I'm asking on behalf of members of the fund. Um, we had a, a ruling judge for the members of the fund, but, and um, we, the fund was awarded um, uh, interest payment um, by the, the administrator for late investments. Um, and we had asked if the fund could have a compound interest calculation um, and I was wondering if that was the latest statement that uh, there's more jurisdiction on terms of determining interest, if that could be um, revisited in terms of uh, the interest calculation, interest on interest. Um, and this is, this is actually paid from the administrator to the members. Or the um, interest to be paid. Unfortunately, it is compound before because we we levy it at um, a rate per annum. Therefore, it unfortunately has, it, it's, it's compound. But um, the idea is to get everybody in the cycle to do what they are supposed to do on time and not wait for someone to force them to pay. It is with the uh, assumption and expectation that it is compound interest. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Reflect on the comments and uh, presentation that we've just received. Um, we need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with ourselves and, and uh, appreciate the, the comments that, that the adjudicators come and presented to you today. On behalf of the Retirement Matters Committee of the Actuarial Society, Mabanga, I'd like to thank you for making the time and effort to come and present to us today um, and also to be so honest and frank about your issues and the things that you want us as a profession to, to take to heart and, and hopefully address. Thank Thanks you. very much for your, for your time. Thank you. Just something small. Thanks. Thank you very much. No, 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 no. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much.